Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. Our guest today is Tyler Robertson, CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. And no, it's not all about diesel. It's not all about laptops, but it is about solving problems that matter. So we're going to have a really great conversation with Tyler and see how he has grown his business from scratch in seven years to be a real powerhouse in his industry and also how he's navigated some challenging times that we've all been through the last couple of years to actually build an even more cohesive team and accelerate growth even further. So let's listen closely as Tyler joins our show. Uh, Welcome, Tyler, to Business Growth on Purpose. Hey, I'm uh, glad to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Tyler, uh, just for our audience, if you could just tell us what you do and who you do it for. Yeah, yep. So I'm the CEO and founder, and Diesel Laptops provides efficiency products and services to people fixing commercial uh, diesel-powered equipment. So we do that through tools, training, call center, repair information, all these things people need to be effective at their job. Well, so that's not, it's not enough to buy um, a a diesel truck from the manufacturer, and I'm good. There's apparently a a whole like set of other needs that surround that, that reality. Yeah, it's like your car, right? You buy your car, you get the warranty, warranty runs out. People usually don't go to the dealer. They go to aftermarket, independent shops. So we focus there, but we do sell a lot to dealerships as well. And I mean, a lot of this comes down to right to repair and access to information. But as everyone knows, if you've ever fixed anything in your life, you usually need a couple of things. You need tools, you need knowledge, you need some access to repair information, and you need someone to call if you need help. And that's really the four things we provide to our customers just in a little bit bigger scale. Wow. So now, you know, this is uh, when you started this business, how many years ago was it now? Yeah. So we're, uh, it was a little over seven years ago and it was just me and my garage. And I, I was like, man, I hope I can make a living doing this thing. I've been doing it part time for a while. So it's been a crazy ride. We're, we're coming up here and I can tell people now, I mean, we'll do over 70, 75 million in revenue this year and we bootstrapped it. We've been profitable the whole time. So we didn't do the traditional go capital raise and go crazy. It's in a different way. So I'm really, really proud of what we built over here. And I'm actually more proud of how we did it. So you you found an obvious gap in what at that point probably was a hundred year old industry, which I love. You know, I love that thought that, you know, because a lot of times people, entrepreneurs or even people in mature categories say, you know, it's already been done. There's no opportunity. And you went from, garage, garage startup, literally, right? Like prototypical, like starting, like very simple, bootstrapped into a $75 million business in an industry that was already very mature and saturated with some sort of solution provider. How, yeah. What do you attribute that? I mean, what did you see? Yeah. What was the gap that you saw that you were able to exploit? Well, our, I didn't even have any of my own products when I started. I was just trying to solve problems. And to do diagnostics, you need three things. You need a computer, which everyone can get, you need software. And there was one of the problems because there's a whole bunch of different software out there. Which one's the best? Which one does what? 
Uh, and then you need a piece of hardware that goes between your piece of equipment and the laptop. And there's multiple solutions. And nobody was really selling all three. They were selling their individual piece of it. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep in mind, these are 50, 60-year-old shop owners that are buying these things. They don't know how to install software, configure Bluetooth adapters and update firmware and do RP1210 settings. Like They just don't know these things. So I just was like, well, I'll just buy all three things. I'll prepackage them make them ready to go to the box and make it simple and easy for people to get going on this. And I can help answer some of the questions because I'm from this space. So that's really what it started was I didn't even have my own products. I just put them together nice, neatly and simplified the whole marketing message, the whole value proposition and customers followed. And it started selling one on eBay is, is where the journey began uh, a little over wow. seven years ago. Well, that is so. That is exciting, uh, Tyler. Now, you you mentioned something, and I, I don't. I just don't want to gloss over it. Uh, you knew the space, like you had personal experience in the space. So it isn't like you read about it and said, "Oh, that's a nice business to get into." Yeah. You had that visceral sense of you knew what was kind of missing in the space. Yeah. So I'm. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit different entrepreneur here. I didn't start my business until I was 36. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, people start much younger. And I always jokingly tell people, look, the only way I can do this is because I got 10 years of paid training. I got paid a lot of money by a lot of people for 10 years to run their operations and make them more efficient. And I started to see all the gaps in the marketplace and all the issues and the frustrations people are having. And I kind of came along at the a perfect time, right? A lot of times when things happen, lightning has to strike. And I happened to come along at this time when we had more emission requirements by the federal government. And then the, because of the more requirements meant more computers and more sensors and more complexity added to these engines. They hadn't changed much, you know, in right. the last 80 years until recently. So uh, I was at the right place at the right time with the right background. I went to school for computer engineering as well. So I kind of had this trifecta that all, that all came together and people are begging for solutions. Like it, it, they are so frustrated. They can't fix their own things. They don't have access to them. They don't know what to buy. They get oversold or overpromised, and everyone's trying to sell them a thing. And we just came along and said, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you the right product. I'm gonna help you out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna solve your problem and get that truck back on the road as quick as possible." And through that journey, it started with taking somebody else's stuff and packaging it, but then we started building our own stuff to support it and our own software and our own hardware. And it just I've been seven years. I always tell people like, look, this is me playing seven years of blackjack. I just keep doubling down on whatever we make. I just keep, <laughs> just keep like, just keep going. Right. Like it, it, it's been, a, it's been a good success. So wow. we don't throw a ton of money to the bottom line because we spend it all just betting right. on ourselves in the future. And that's bootstrapping in a nutshell. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting though, is and you said it and I pick up on it right away. Uh, earlier, you described, you saw the problem, right? So like, uh, what I what I often find, especially in technology startups, like you know, I and that's earlier part of my career, a lot of people get they fall in love with the stuff they're making, yeah. Instead of really thinking about what's the problem I'm solving and how why should this matter urgently to a particular customer, so you kind of focus. You didn't really worry about I have to make my own product. You you worried about how do I solve these people's problem. People buy solutions, they don't buy products, right? Like we all know this, but yet, like, as you said, and Steve Jobs has a great speech he did like in the early nineties on a stage where he's like, I got the war wounds to show it. You can't, you can't take a product and jam it into a solution. You got to think of the, the, the solution first and then build the product from there. And that's really what it's been. So this has been a constant situation where I'm always like, well, what problem do they have? Let's go make a solution for it. And sometimes 
sometimes we make good solutions, sometimes we don't, but the market tells you pretty quick. And that's been one of our keys to our success is how do we make that person's job more efficient? And we just go back to that every single time. So we start with like the really end user, the technician, the guy working on the vehicle. Okay. Solve his problem. And he's not the guy buying these tools. It's his boss or his manager, his boss, his boss, his boss. But that's fine. We know if we can save them time and money. And in our space, like truck repair, these shops are charging 150 to 200 bucks an hour to work on something. If we can save them 15 minutes, those minutes add up really quick into big right. dollars. And that's the industry we plan. Well, now with, uh, with a heavy focus, I mean, even the name of your company around diesel, right? So clearly a few things are happening now in the energy front and a few things are happening in terms of what people are predicting or trying to make happen on the automotive front, certainly trucking and so on. Uh, EVs being one and then autonomous driving, right? You mentioned that at the, at the in our pre-call. Uh, so as you look out, what do you see for your company are the necessary pivots as you see that? Because that's apparently from all I'm reading, that's a wave that's, we're not going to stop that wave. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's inevitable at this point. So I, I know I, I think I misnamed my company Diesel Laptops because now we're doing, you know, non-diesel things and we're using mobile phones and tablets and everything else. Uh, but for me, I look at it, my, just my general perception is I was really 20 years late to this diagnostic game. And at this point, we've already passed all of our competitors. And some of these guys are billion dollar competitors. We sell more tools and do more things than they do. And now it's like the great reset. So I'm like, all right, now all you guys get to deal with me from day one here and we're running fast and hard and we're, we're doing things a different way than everybody else is doing. So yeah, EVs are definitely coming um, and it's a huge, it, we're actually excited about it. So while there's not engines, there's obviously other things going on there. Um, and what we've really learned in this whole process, and I've been to, I've, I've interviewed and been with Mack Trucks, uh, International Truck and Engine. I've been to their facilities. I've seen these things. I've driven these things. They are, they are great. They got a long way to go still, but they are great. Uh, what we've seen is a huge potential. So you got to keep in mind all these gas stations that are out there, these fuel pumps more than likely they turn into charging stations. Well, all these charging stations, what are those charging stations? They're really big computers and they have circuit boards and they have logic in them and they have, they have mechanical componentry in those things. So we look at this being like, man, we may go beyond just trucks, but into actually doing diagnostics for charging stations and all the mm. infrastructure stuff that's out there. So that's a huge one to us. And then robots driving trucks, as we call it, or autonomous trucking to use a technical term. That one's super exciting as well. Because where we win at diesel is the fact that the more things are complicated, the more computers that are on them, that means there's more complexity and more need for tools, more need for information and wiring diagrams and componentry. And those are all the things that we do. So robots driving trucks, we're super excited for because they have, I can tell everyone, way more sensors, LIDAR, radar. They have all these fancy things on them trying to, and huge computer systems trying to process all this information. Um, and it's again, it's gonna be a long while before we actually see an autonomous. Yeah, truck I'm just, you know, I always visualize driving like to Thanksgiving dinner with my family in our in our SUV alongside a, you know, whatever it is, 50,000 pound vehicle that no human is behind the wheel, which, you know, it's just, I, and I, I understand intellectually that might actually be safer than the average human who's behind the wheel, but does it feel safer? Yeah, I, I can explain it for two people, the things they need to understand. So first of all, they'll see headlines in the news, like truck does autonomous delivery and blah, blah, blah in the United States. What, what's happening in the United States, we make laws to ban things. We don't make laws to approve things. 
Mm. And in Europe and other countries, it's the opposite. So a lot of the testing happens here in the United States first. And it is, it is going to be a long time before you see an 80,000 pound truck running freight up and down the road without a human behind the steering wheel. They're 98, 99% of the way there. But that last 1% is extremely difficult. And this is like, this is human life we're talking about. Right. And, and it, it's going to, it's going to take a bit. So where everyone in the industry that we're in the industry feel you'll see robots driving trucks is actually at the shipyards and at ports Got because it. you're not driving 80 miles an hour. You're driving five. Right. You're not, you have fixed things around. You don't have a bunch of traffic sure. flowing. It's just a simpler, easier experience for autonomous. So I really think that's where people will see it. It makes sense because human drives it to a shipyard. People don't know this, but at a lot of these yards and delivery points, they're waiting for hours to get unloaded. Right. And the driver's doing nothing but sitting there twiddling his thumb. So the whole premise is bring it to the yard, robot takes over, driver gets in another truck and heads off and, and goes and keeps hauling loads. So right. I think and they're on that 10 to 12 hour clock a day. So if they say six hours online, they've just lost their yeah, exactly. There's time. hours of service operations. It's, right. They lose a lot of hours sitting around doing nothing, unfortunately, in, in our industry, which is a whole nother problem that's getting billions of dollars thrown at. And, and as things go to electric and away from diesel, obviously, so you're you're looking at as a as a leader, you're saying, well, that doesn't change the complexity problem. And in many ways, your company wasn't I mean, it was named diesel laptops, but it's really about solving the complexity problem for people who ran fleets. And things like that. Yeah. So I, when I went up to International Truck and Engines Electrical Facility up in Michigan, I thought I was going to pull the hood open and there's going to be nothing there, right? Where's the engine? There's, <laughs> there isn't one anymore. It was full. There, there was all kinds of componentry in there. It was just different stuff. I mean, they got to cool the batteries. They can't get too hot. They have to monitor things. There's different radiator systems. Like there's a different air compressor because now we don't have an engine that attaches. There's a lot of other things that changed. So it's not going anywhere. And, and the big part is, is I know we've all talked about commercial truck, a big part of our business, almost as big as truck is off highway. So all those things that are digging dirt and bringing food to our tables, they're all powered by diesel. It's going to be a long time, if ever, that the EVs like electric makes their way into that industry with any significance. So, so like combines, all the agriculture, big combines, equipment. excavators, generators outside. Like if anyone listen to this in a corporate building, their buildings probably get a generator or two in the basement if the power goes out to keep it running. Right. Those are diesel powered. All, all these things are going to keep on needing diesel. Diesel's, diesel is not going to disappear in any of our lifetimes of anyone listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, can, I can assure them that. Rest assured. <laughs> wow. I know people will say like, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, we all want a better world, but we can't be completely utopian about it because the reality is the reality. I mean, is we still, people have to work, people have to eat. And you can't just throw a light switch and say, well, it's all, you know, it's all better. Yeah. I mean, the fact is that fuel taxes, diesel and gasoline pays for our road taxes. That's how we have paved roads or hopefully paved roads. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens on their EVs and we're charging at home? How do we, how do we pay for the roads? Like there's, there's so many things in the infrastructure. There's a lot of pieces to this that, that haven't been figured out yet. And it's going to take a long time. But if anyone's listening to this, what they need to realize is when there's a shift, there's always opportunity. You just got to keep your eye open and you got to just think through what are the problems and figure out where the solutions are. And just, we constantly do that here. We're constantly talking to my employees. I'm like, don't, like, I know what we're good at. I hear it all day long. I, I, I see the numbers. I see, I see what sells. I know these things. What I don't know is what do we suck at and what problems do people have? That's the things I need to, I need to know. 
And as the company scaled, that's been one of the challenges is how do I still know that? I used to be on every phone call when I was myself. I did every tech right. call and every sales call. I knew your problems. I could help figure out solutions. It gets different. You have to keep, you kind of reinvent yourself and your organization as you keep scaling up. Plus, as you scale up, you also scale out. You have different product lines. Some of those yep. may be to different buying centers. You know, so it, the complexity just keeps going as you as you scale growth. Uh, it's not, we're not just selling more and more paper clips. We, we, we just had that. I literally right before this, I had, I had our sales trainer in here. I'm like, man, it used to be so easy. We had one product we sold and that's all roads led to that one product. Now we have 10 main products. Like we need to clear, like we can't scale up our sales organization unless we clarify and simplify which product we put in front of a customer. Like we need to figure this out in less than three questions to tell them which product best fits them. And it, it, that's a, that's a seismic shift in an organization that has 50 salespeople and selling tens of millions of dollars to go reinvent yourself like that. But we have to do it if we want to keep growing. Right. So, and, and you know, talking about, you know, seismic shifts and, and things, certainly your industry was already shifting prior to 2020, but the pandemic did happen. Right. And supply chains. And, and you know, I was talking to a client recently. He says, you know, supply chains were already like, sucky and having real challenges all along pandemic just brought it up boiled it brought it to the final boil but it wasn't like it broke it it was already kind of broken so as you look out and and look back in the last two three years how how did you navigate some of the issues with in terms of morale keeping people's head in the game navigating that 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 turn which was very strenuous for a lot of company owners like yourself yeah so first of all at first I was emotionally, I was scared, right? Like as a business owner, we can all sit there and say our business will never drop off a cliff. It'll just slowly go up, slowly go down. That's the way it normally works. And then COVID happens. So that's, that's the fear factor. But then the reality, the logical side, I was like, okay, Tyler, we have, we have no debt. We have a, a great sales force here. We may need to pivot and sell some different products. So let's go figure this out. So we communicated really clearly with employees. We, one of the first things we did, we said, look, you know, we don't, we don't want to go losing a bunch of money here. Like we need to make sure we're breaking even and just riding this thing out. And here's how much we need to sell a day. And we actually gave him a chart with a little red line on it. Like good, this good. is, this is what we need to sell to break even every week. And we communicated that every week to the employees. Like this is where we're at. This is what's happening. We put an employee expense reduction committees together. We tightened our belts and I can say we got, we got through that thing. And I mean, we ended up growing more that year than we ever grew because obviously None of us expected trucks to be hauling everything everywhere and supply chains and freight needed to move, like all these things. So it ended up, you know, in in hindsight, a a good thing for the business side of it. We learned a lot about our company, but we all told the employees, like, look, our intention is not to lay off anybody. We don't want to. If anyone wants to get laid off and just wants to go home on unemployment and ride this thing out, like we get it. We'll, We'll work with you on that. Not a single employee raised their hand. They all wanted to to stay through it. I mean, even the government was throwing out extra unemployment and all these things. Um, so we, I, I think we did a great job communicating to our employees what we were doing, how we were handling the financial condition, and I want them to have a sense of peace. Like I knew, I knew how it was affecting me and my wife and, and our our kids. I'm like, man, I I want to make sure I can take as much of that pressure off of our employees as possible. So another example is we hired a school teacher here. We took a room, we gutted it, we turned it into an elementary classroom, hired a teacher and an assistant. We told our employees. Hey, you can bring your kid to work. They can be in that classroom with the teacher all day because schools were shut down. No one knew it was going to happen the next year. And that was a big pressure relief for a lot of, a lot of parents. Um, and we have some people that they're, you know, both the husband and the wife work here. 
Like, right. okay, how you how you can do your jobs if one of these <laughs> teach your kid? Like, this isn't gonna work. So let's let's problem solve this. So yeah, we were we did weekly testing for all the employees for free if they want, you know, like required at first and optional. Like we did, I think we did as much as we could think of to try to make this as least stressful um, and make sure the company still exists at the end of the day. Well, you, you also did something in doing it that way, uh, being uh, inclusive of people like, you, you know, you, you started like employee, like expense reduction. It's very easy as an owner entrepreneur to be autocratic, to say, OK, we're going to cut this. We're going to cut that and so on, because you talk to your controller about it. But when you make it a collaborative effort, everyone actually feels they own more. You know, they're more owners of what's going on. And it's a sense of control. And I think it builds trust. So, you know, which again, so, uh, you know, crisis can tear some, you know, even families can tear families apart because sometimes bring them closer together. And it sounds like you you approach it in a way uh, with real leadership to bring people, uh, you know, together on the ship as you're uh, navigating the rough waters. Yeah, I mean, it was letting everyone know what the situation is. And, I, and you know, because we talked about it, like, do we talk to everyone? What do we do? I'm like, you know what? We're all big boys here or big girls. Let's just pull our pants up and let's just have those adult conversations. Let everyone know what the situation is. And we were pretty clear, like, if we can't break even, like, we're going to have to do layoffs. Like, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But everyone's going to know the situation well ahead of time. And we'll do our best to communicate those things with you. So, yeah, I think the employees appreciate the honesty and the transparency we were giving them through that process. And I tell you, you got everyone focused. You got everyone focused on keeping expenses down <laughs> and got everyone focused on selling more and doing all the right things. And, and that was that was great. And we actually took what we learned there and we rolled it into 2022 budget. And we just said, look, that works so well with everyone getting rallying around like the the, the revenue number essentially. Let's make that the let's make that the bonus thing for this year. And we set a tier and I can tell you all year long, people are like, man, I, I, we're hitting this tier. How do we hit the next one? What do I got to do? Wow. And I'm like, that's wow. great. Let's, let's, well, I mean, that, I mean, and that doesn't mean that you, you know, because I've, I'm, I always have a little bit of mixed feelings about gamifying everything. You know, you know, it's like, you don't do that at home with your wife or let's gamify our relationship. But, yeah. but a little bit of it goes a long way to just making it interesting. I mean, it just doesn't have to feel like a slog. It could feel like it's a game where we can win. Um, and that, that that's very exciting. Well, Tyler, we can keep going because this is fun stuff. You've done a great and commendable job. Really, congratulations. Uh, if somebody listening wanted to know more about your firm, maybe needing uh, the kinds of things you do, where should they go to learn more about you and your company? Yeah, so if they want to learn more about diesel laptops in our industry, go to diesellaptops.com. We have a learn section on there. You can obviously learn a lot about all the things we do in, in our industry. Uh, the other way is I, I love LinkedIn. I've been posting on there as an outlet. I had no one to talk to and no one, I didn't have a mentor. That was my place just to throw things out there and going on my business, going back to day one. So look up Tyler Robertson on LinkedIn. Love to connect with you on there and uh, keep sharing my journey and keep meeting people. That's uh, what it's all about on there. Great. And for those of you listening where you have access to our show notes, these links will be provided on the show notes as well. Tyler Robertson, congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us on Business Growth on Purpose. We really appreciate it. Hey, appreciate the invite. Love everything you're doing over there. Keep up the great work. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, Come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. 
we've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose.